The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. This morning we're reading from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This ends the reading of God's Word. That's a quick one. Usually I have a minute to just kind of catch my breath and say a little prayer. I bounce them right back up here. Well, I'm guessing you caught the theme here. Uh, hopefully you've been catching it all along. That The theme is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, we've, been, uh, we've been looking in the Psalms for a little while now. And um, this, in case you don't know, this is the, the last of the Psalms. There's 150 of them. This is the last one. And uh, I chose it this week, not because we're all done with the Psalms. We're going to continue to look at them throughout the summer. But I, I, I chose it because I think that it fits in perfectly with one of the themes that we have been carrying on week by week here as is, is we've looked into the Psalms, which is exercising the muscles of faith. How do we do that? How do we engage the muscles of our faith? How do we get stronger um, in our efforts to exercise our faith? And in recent weeks, we've been talking about spiritual exercises. Uh, a couple of them have, have come up along the way. We've talked about remembering, the importance of remembering is a spiritual practice, is a spiritual discipline, intentionally uh, bringing to mind ways that God has shown himself to be faithful and um, uh, powerful, um, caring for us. You know, we can remember this in terms of uh, the historical past, church history, things that we read in the Bible. We can, consider, we can remember as it relates to our own lives, ways that we've seen God at work in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. We also talked about the spiritual exercise of prayer, coming to God in moments of desperation, of difficulty, in trouble, in just unpacking our situation with him, pouring things out, making them known to God. But last week, as we talked about this idea of prayer, we also talked about the need to shift gears, to move from self to God, to move from our, you know, our situations of desperation and difficulty to declaration. Talking to God, as odd as it may sound, talking to God about God, expressing those things that are true about him to him. This is an act of worship. This is an exercise of faith. It's a way of affectionately acknowledging who God is. And it's also, it's, it comes with a very helpful, healthy byproduct. Um, it has a way of reminding us and bringing us into reality. 
Often we're struggling to get a grip on what reality really is. Doing this gives us a vision of life that's seen through the eyes of faith. It gives us a sense of reality. And this this last thing that I'm mentioning here about declaration, this is very much in the neighborhood of what we're going to be looking at and talking about this morning. So coming back now to Psalm 150, we're going to consider praise as a spiritual exercise, leaning into the good and holy habit of praising God. The good and holy habit of praising God. In Psalm 150, this is the perfect place to go to, to learn this sort of thing um, in order to better understand the practice of praise because despite the fact that this is a very brief psalm, like I pointed out, it's actually a very big, it's a very spacious psalm. It's deceptive in this way. The thing that makes it so spacious is the fact that it answers some very big, important questions. And it's a funny thing because we don't get any questions um, expressed, articulated for us in the psalm, but we get the answers. We, so we have to kind of go looking for the questions. Um, I'm going to help with that. I'm going to provide the questions. And then together, we're going to go looking for the answers to these questions. Uh, this, these questions are going to make up our outline. So that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, five questions for us this morning. Outline of five points. Watch out. Buckle up. <laughs> Did you guys bring water, a snack, or anything like that? I'm just kidding. I hope not to go too, too long. But um, yes, so uh, the, the, the psalm itself, it, it, I believe, poses four questions. I'm adding in a fifth one uh, of my own, which will be the first one. So the questions that we're asking are what, where, why, how, and who, All right? And uh, I'll spell it out in more specific ways because we're talking about praise, right? What is praise? It's question number one. What is praise? Question number two, where are we to praise? Where are we to do so? Question number three, why? Why are we to praise God? Question number four, how are we to praise God? And then the last one, the last question is, who should be doing this? Who should be doing this praising? Okay, so what, where, why, how, and who? So to begin with, my question, what is praise? Now, maybe this seems like a, a uh, unnecessary question to ask. I think that um, it is necessary, though. It, it, th- this topic of, of praise is, uh, you know, it's the premise of the entire psalm. And again, it, to, to our um, efforts, this is, you know, the premise of this, this spiritual discipline, the spiritual exercise that we're trying to understand. So we, we have to ask the question, what is it? What is praise? So here's something interesting. The, the Hebrew word used here for praise, I think it's pronounced halal, and its bo- most basic meaning is to shine. Maybe not what you were expecting. Its most basic meaning is to shine, to be bright. In other words, to praise something is to cast a light upon that thing, whatever it may be, in such a way that you bring to light those things that are true about it. That you, you if it's a, a something that's praiseworthy, that you're bringing a light to the splendor, the majesty, the value of that thing. And let me be clear, I'm not talking about using light in some kind of a manipulative way as though the light is, is kind of like shining up 
polishing up something that's tarnished. I, I'm talking about using light in such a way that it, it brings out the true quality. It accurately represents the thing that's being shined upon. Um, for instance, just thinking about um, what it might look like to, to do this, uh, it's a bit like maybe uncovering buried treasures. If you're thinking of this as a, as a practice, to be looking for, to be trying to identify, to uncover these qualities. It makes me think of a show, American Pickers. Does anybody know American Pickers? That show, you should know it because it's been around for 23 years now. That show's existed for 23 years. It's a long time. And the whole show, it's so simple. It's just like, how, did this, how has this show lasted for 23 years? Apparently people like digging up antiques. They like this kind of practice. So all it is is just like people driving around, showing up at people's garages and their barns and just places where there are heaps upon heaps of stuff, all right? And, and digging around, looking for, trying to dig up the quality stuff, all right? Looking for the value. Antiques of all kinds. Oftentimes, these are, are big barns on people's properties, and the barns are just full of things that the owners have been collecting for one reason or another. Oftentimes, it's like really odd things that they're collecting. And in many cases, when, when they arrive and you see what's going on there, it just looks like a big heap of junk. Kind of like, well, what's, what's possibly here? I can't wait to find out, kind of a thing, right? And um, But the pickers, they dig around, and every once in a while, they find something buried in a bunch of stuff, covered in dust, covered in dirt, covered in God knows what, and they pull it out, and they dust it off, they begin to clean it off, and then they begin to cast a light on it. This is what they do, you know? They, 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 they show it to you so that you can really see it, but they don't just do that. They begin to tell you why this thing has value. They give, give it context, the history of the item. They begin to point out the unique qualities that make this such a, such a special thing that is worthwhile, worth paying for, worth purchasing, all right? And you could say that they're essentially, what they're doing is they're appraising that thing. They're appraising this item, and in doing so, as they appraise it, in, in, in uh, put a value on it, they're essentially praising it. I mean, this is the case with anything that these pickers actually want to pick up and throw in their truck and drive off with. They're praising the thing, whatever it may be. And that's what the psalmist here is calling us to do. We're being called to praise the Lord, to put in the work, to put in the effort, to apply the elbow grease, if you will, to put in the spiritual discipline in order to cast a light upon the matchless splendor and value of God. Praise the Lord is what we're told to do here. So we're not being called to make things up. We're not being called to, to play things up as it relates to him, to make something out of nothing. Rather, we're being called to draw attention to the true wonder and grandeur of God. So that answers the first question. All right? What is praise? We just answered that. Let's move on to the second question, which is actually the first question that gets answered in the psalm. Where? Where are we to do this? Where are we to praise God? And the answer that we get is in verse 1. It's very interesting. It, it actually, uh, the question that we pose, uh, we're provided with two answers to that question. It says, Praise the Lord. 
praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. So I don't think that this is too complicated, what we're being told here. What the psalmist seems to have in mind here is first off, the praise of God's people taking place in some kind of, it's, a, it's called a sanctuary, right? The idea there being it's some kind of set apart, designated, possibly consecrated place of worship. Praise God in his sanctuary. And so you can imagine God's people gathering in an appointed localized place. Is this sounding familiar? Um, so that they might cast a light on his splendor and glory. Not unlike what we're doing right now, right here. Isn't this what we're doing? Isn't this why we've gathered here? To do this very thing? And this doesn't always come easily. This doesn't always come easily, does it? You're like, tell me about it. It doesn't always come easy. Sometimes we don't want to do it. Sometimes we don't want to come and gather here. Right? Sometimes we don't want to get out of bed. Sometimes we don't want to get out from underneath the covers. Sometimes our lives just feel just too overwhelming. We just feel too darn exhausted. We feel too heartbroken. We feel too world weary. And so we just want to stay in bed and not do this at all. Bah humbug, right? Praise shmeish. That's a hard thing to say, shmeish. But the psalmist here is bidding us to come. He's putting a value on this. Do you see this? He's saying this is really important, actually. You need to get out of bed for this. This is worth getting out of bed for. In fact, this comes to us in the form of a command. And again, it's a very positive, it's a very enthusiastic sort of a command because the psalmist understands that this is not a chore, but rather it's the very thing that we were created to do. This, this is a good command. We need these. This is a good command. It's kind of like exercise. Back to exercise, right? It's kind of like exercise. Some of us don't like to exercise, but even if you don't, we all have to admit that it's good, right? Exercise is good. We all know this. If you refuse to admit that much, you, you probably have got a real problem. Exercise can be difficult for us, especially if we're not in the habit of it, especially if we're not in the practice of exercising. But regardless of that, it's a life-giving thing to do. It's a way of caring for our bodies, strengthening our bodies, nurturing our bodies. And I've been told that the more you do it, I've been told this, I don't know if this is true, some of you can tell me, the more you do it, that you begin to delight in it. That you Ask Brando, he'll tell you, that you really enjoy it. Praise is what we were designed for. It's life-giving. It's a privilege. And yet, as you can see here, it is a command. Praise the Lord. And notice just how big and all-encompassing this command actually is. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. All right? And the way that most understand that second part of the answer this reference to his mighty heavens, is that it's speaking of a heavenly host. That the psalmist is addressing like an angelic host of beings and is commanding them, as well as us, to praise God. All right, And this phrase, 
Uh, Mighty Heavens, it gets used 17 times in all of the Old Testament. Nine of those 17 times come in the very first chapter of the Bible, come in Genesis chapter 1, where we get this account of the creation of the heavens and, and, and the earth. And when you read other Psalms and you read other parts of the Bible, you will see this kind of language being used again and again and again. All right. Um, this is not uncommon at all that the answer to the question, where should the praise of God take place? The answer is everywhere. It should take place everywhere. It should take place on earth. It should take place in the heavens. It should take place near. It should take place far, high, low, among God's people, wherever they may dwell, in all of the earth, and among the angelic host of heaven. It should take place everywhere. You see what I mean by this? This is a spacious, big psalm. And by the way, I think it's worth noting, we can do that. We can praise God anywhere and everywhere that we want to. For those who have embraced Christ by faith, we're told that God turns us into walking, talking sanctuaries. Sounds odd, I know. But that if you, if, if you belong to Christ and his spirit indwells you, that's what you are. You're a walking, talking sanctuary. And so we can praise God here and now together. We can praise him as we're leaving here. We can praise him as we put our heads down on our pillows at night. We can praise him as we stand up in the morning and our feet hit the ground. Um, like uh, Green Eggs and Ham, the book, you know, Sam, Sam I Am. When he finally comes around to it at the end of the book, what's he saying? He's just like, man, I like green eggs and ham. I like them here. I like them there. You know, I will eat them on a boat. I'll eat them in a moat. I'll eat them on a train. I'll eat them in the rain. Like, same principle applies. You can praise him anywhere. Anywhere you want. It's amazing. But why? Why though? Why should we do this? Why not just stay in bed and skip the whole thing? And this brings us to the third question now. Why? Why are we to praise God? Why are we to do it? Please look back with me at verse 2. It says, Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. And so, if you're reading between the lines here, what the psalmist is saying in so many words is that the reason why we praise him is gratitude. Gratitude for his goodness and wonder. Thankfulness for his mighty deeds. Gratitude for his excellent greatness. And the obvious problem here is that we're not good at this. We're not good at gratitude. I was going to say, I'll just speak for myself, but I don't think I need to. I don't, I, I don't know that any of us like really, really excel at this. I don't know that this comes very naturally for any of us. To, to just be like just oozing with gratitude and thankfulness. Praise and gratitude is not our natural disposition. And worse yet, it's far too easy for us to fall into categories that are like a long way off from gratitude. It's as easy as like water traveling down a hill for us to get grumpy about stuff, for us to be um, pessimistic, for us to just get stressed out, to essentially be devoid of anything that even resembles gratitude. It, it's, it's, it's too simple. <laughs> it's too easy. And so again, back to our big point, we have to see this, this act of praise is a discipline. 
is a spiritual exercise. We don't want to look at, at it that way. I realize that. We would all love it if this was something that just kind of naturally, constantly just bubbled up from within us. Maybe you have moments where this is happening. If you do, you can thank God for it because he's the one who is bringing this about in your life. Um, oftentimes, praise is less like water traveling downhill. It's more like trying to climb a mountain. It takes real effort. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes intentionality. It takes discipline. Sometimes we have to push ourselves. Sometimes we have to pull ourselves into the practice of praise. Well, how do we do that? Is a fair question. How do we do that? We're going to get real practical on this. Um, We're going to take some cues from verse 2 here. Again, it says, praise him. For his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. This is about who God is and the things that God has done. These are the kinds of things that we have to train our minds on in the practice of praise. And um, I would encourage us to get creative with this, to work for it. For instance, consider some of God's more obscure, harder to notice, less celebrated acts. This would be a way of like really rolling up your sleeves and working for it, working for praise. Um, this reminds me of one of my favorite poems. Uh, I've, it's been a long time since I've read it. I have read it from up front before. You guys have probably forgot it by now. But it's, it's written by a fellow named Tom Hennon, and the poem is called Love for Other Things. And warning, this is, a, this is a strange poem. Like a lot of the things, a lot of the poems and songs I like, it's strange, okay? Um... I'm going to read it, and then we're going to try together this morning to take his advice on what he is saying in this poem. Here it goes. Love for other things. It's easy to love a deer, but try to care about bugs and scrawny trees. Love the puddle of lukewarm water from last week's rain. Leave the mountains alone for now. Also, the clear lake surrounded by pines. People are lining up to admire them, Get close to the things that slide away in the dark. Be grateful even for the boredom that sometimes seems to involve the whole world. Think of the frost that will crack our bones eventually. It's kind of morbid, I know. But its he's thinking deep. I mean, he's thinking about God's creation, really. So let's take the advice of this poet and put verse 2 into practice. So for instance, if you want to nurture love for other things, how about deep sea creatures? Can we do deep sea creatures this morning? This will be fun. I promise. Um, We've all probably heard that our ocean is like one of the most mysterious, undiscovered things. You know, like we know less about the ocean than we do about space is what I've heard. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard it said many times. Maybe it's true. So, So here is some fodder. Deep sea fodder for praise, okay? Do you know anything about giant larvations? Anybody? Giant larvations. So these these are very strange sea creatures. They're apparently only about four inches long, which is not very big for a giant larvation. So you might be asking, well, what makes them so giant? This is what makes them so giant. It's because... They have, they, have, they have this inventive use of mucus. They, they take mucus 
all right? And they create these elaborate structures that are made out of like sea snot, okay? And, and they, they grow, they, they develop to be about like three feet in length and they use these things to catch stuff that they can eat. Gross and interesting, right? And sometimes these, these, these uh, I heard one writer refer to them as snot castles. Sometimes they get clogged up with stuff and so they just ditch them. And you know what happens? They float down to the sea floor and then other critters eat the mucus and derive sustenance and nutrients from that. And then they just create a new snot castle and away they go. This is uh, really wild stuff, okay? Um, Praising. I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, these things, they have their place within his plan somehow. I don't know how. It's so interesting. It's so creative. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. How about Japanese spider crabs? You guys know anything about Japanese spider crabs? So Japanese spider crabs have the largest leg span of any crustacean. They grow up to like 12 feet in length from claw to claw. They look like a spider and they sound scary, but they're really not that scary. All they do is they like sloths. They kind of like slowly creep along the ocean floor and they just eat dead and decaying things. They don't bother anybody. They just eat weird stuff. They may even be the guys who are eating snot castles on the ocean floor. I don't know. I mean, it would seem like that might be true. Praise him. <laughs> Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. How about anglerfish? I bet you know, know about these guys. Anglerfish. These have been made popular by the movie Nemo. And they are really, really freaky critters. Okay? They are fishing fish. They're fish that fish like people fish. They've got this like appendage that hangs off their head and dangles down in front of their mouth. They've got huge teeth, but you don't see them. They've just got this little ball of light. It's like a little Christmas light, real beautiful. And fish are like, ooh, check it out. And they swim up to it, and then they, the anglerfish eats them. This is how they work. I could tell you more about the anglerfish. There is some really disturbing stuff. I'm not going to, though. But if you're really, really interested, see me afterwards, and I'll tell you. Um, okay. Let's, let's move on from, from deep sea. What about plant life? Obscure, interesting, oddball, lesser known plant life stuff. Have you heard of the corpse flower? It goes by many other names, but have you heard of the corpse flower? They grow in uh, Sumatra, Indonesia. Uh, they are super duper, as you might expect, smelly. They smell horrific. These, these, um, they bloom nightly. And as they do, they apparently stink like rotting flesh. And I'm not going to lie, I'm glad that they grow in, in, in Indonesia and not here. All right? Because not only do they stink, but they, they become humongous. All right? Their, their stinkiness is so strong that it attracts flies and carrion beetles from miles away that they draw to themselves and then they use those little critters to pollinate themselves and then they get big 
They get up to eight feet tall. They can weigh up to 170 pounds. 170 pounds of rotting fish stinkiness. Rotting flesh, I'm sorry. God's creating interesting things in the world. Okay? One more for you. And we'll end this exercise on a more pleasant note, okay? I'm going to try to uh, highlight um, a more pleasant plant. Have you heard of the giant water lily? Giant water lily. Also goes by many names. They grow in parts of South America. They apparently, they grow these uh, pink blossoms that have this very pleasant, sweet, pineapple smell to them. They too attract beetles and other critters they're, they're flat, they have these flowers that close down on the beetles, but they don't eat them. They just trap them and, and allow the beetles to pollinate their flowers. And then the next morning, unharmed, they release them and off they go. It's very interesting. Okay. These uh, water lily plants apparently can grow up to eight inches over the course of one day. And they grow up to a span of like eight feet. So they're absolutely huge. Lily pads, eight foot in diameter lily pads. So where are we to praise him? Where are we to praise him? Everywhere. We are to praise him everywhere. What are we to praise him for? Everything. All kinds of things. It's spacious. There's lots of room to stretch out in the practice of praise. We can praise him for his creation. We can praise him for the excellencies of his character, which we'll, we'll come to a little bit later. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. But how? How might we do this? How are we to praise him? This is our fourth question. And within, within the psalm, this question gets the longest answer. It gets the most ink. It covers three of the six verses. So this seems significant. How are we to praise him? Beginning in verse 3. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. So how are we to praise him? And I think one thing is pretty clear here. One of the ways that we're called to praise God is most definitely through music. God apparently puts a very high premium on music and using music as a vehicle for worship. To me, I find this very interesting. I would go so far as to say that I find it surprising. And I say that not because I have an aversion to music, but because I like music so much. And I'm like, wow, this is great. I like that, that he likes it. And that he wants me to use it to worship him. Part of the reason I say that is because it might be easy to think of music as being like trivial or something like that. It might be easy to think of music as, as, as being like impractical, as non-essential, like it doesn't put food on the table. You could think about it in these kinds of ways, like why, why are we putting such a high premium on this? What is it doing? But God clearly values it as a way of casting light upon his splendor and his glory, and therefore it does have supreme value. Do you see? I, for one, find music to be a very helpful way for, for me to get my praise muscles moving 
Like when I feel stuck, when I feel like that I just, I don't want to exercise or I can't exercise. Music really helps me by engaging and directing my mind and my heart toward him. This is a way to exercise the muscles of our faith. This is a way to participate in the practice of praise. By singing praises to God, by lifting our voices, by declaring his wonderful deeds, singing of his excellent greatness. If you have not used music in this way before, I would highly recommend that you do it. God's word prescribes it. It commands it. Question, is this it? I mean, these three verses, that's all they're talking about is music. Is this it? Is this the only way? Of course not. We've already seen how spacious this psalm is, right? It's, this is, this, we should interpret this, I believe, as being spacious as well. We learn in the New Testament that this much. We learn in the New Testament um, that all things should be the beginning and the end of praise. In um, his letter to the church in Corinth, um, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you're doing, I mean, what does that cover? That covers everything. Anything that you could do. Anything. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When he was writing to the church in, in uh, Colossae, he writes, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Same story. Maybe this is just a Paul thing. I don't think so. Listen to Peter. Writing to a whole group of scattered Christians, he writes this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In other words, there are essentially no limitations. There's no cap on what praise can look like in our lives. Everything that we do, we can do as an act of worship if we choose to do that thing with a mindfulness, with a posture of gratitude, thanksgiving towards God for his mighty acts, for his excellent greatness, great excellence. I think it works both ways. And since we've spent a good amount of time considering some of God's lesser known, lesser appreciated creations, I would suggest that you begin to think of this in the same ways. God puts a high premium on, on, on these creatures that we're talking about, just kind of like, I didn't even know that thing existed. God did. He made it. So I think that we could carry this over. In what ways could we worship God? In what ways could we carry this over into all aspects of our life? You could, you could begin to attempt to practice praise as you do dishes, as you change diapers, as you go grocery shopping, as you're chopping wood, as you're doing home repairs, as you're paying bills. All of these things, believe it or not, can be a springboard for praise as we center ourselves upon him. Depend upon his strength and his camaraderie and the trivial tasks that we take on. I'm going to say a, a couple other things about this. So we've been talking about God's um, creations, like all these things that he's made. 
I just want to make another quick suggestion. Don't think it a trivial thing that you might worship God through acts of creativity. If you have something that you really enjoy doing, I don't know what it is, you know? Maybe it's knitting. Maybe it's making buttons or like working with leather or making picture frames. I like to make picture frames. Um, maybe you like to write poems. Maybe you like to go out in the woods and create paths. I, I don't know what you like to do. But whatever you like to do, don't think of it as this like lesser than trivial thing that you can't use as an act of worship. You can engage in that. And in so doing, you can identify with God as your creator. You can emulate part of his character, part of his creativity. I mean, just think about how creative some of the things that we were going through in these deep sea creatures and stuff. It's okay to worship him in these ways. Who? Who should be doing all of this praising? This is our last question, question number five. Who should be doing all of this praising? What does it say? Verse six, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. <coughs> praise the Lord. Who should be doing all of this praising? Again, spacious. Everybody. God's inviting everyone. The invitation is out for everyone. This is an all-inclusive invitation. Anything that has breath, anything, any, anything that can take into their lungs air and speak is invited to praise the Lord. I think about this. Where should we be directing this praise? I think that we, of course, have to jump into the New Testament and consider the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you say, Doug, you're talking to me about all kinds of weird stuff, weird creatures, weird activities. You want me to like praise God while I'm like bushwhacking in the woods? What are you talking about? What am I, how do I do that? What do I center my mind on? I would encourage you to look at our confession of faith that we'll confess later on page seven. This comes from Philippians chapter two. The question that we'll be posing is, Christian, what do you believe about your Lord Jesus Christ? This is what's written for us. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. God put him in a position to be worshipped, to be praised because of what he did. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. There it is. And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Jesus deserves all of our praise. Why might that be? We've got this invitation. Let everything that has breath come and worship him. This is this all-inclusive invitation. How does this invitation really meet us? And there's only one way that this came about. It was through exclusion. This is an all-inclusive invitation. And the only reason that it can come our way is because Jesus knowingly, willingly, voluntarily allowed himself to be excluded. 
he allowed himself to be shut out. He allowed the door to be closed in his face. Why have you forsaken me? Was his words. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. Jesus died the death that we should have died, that we might be brought all the way in, that we might have a seat at the table, that we might worship him now and for all time. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, oh, how worthy you are of our praise. Your ways, your works are beyond our comprehension. There are things that you, even in our advanced age, in which we think that we just know it all, there are still creatures in the deeps that we have yet to discover that you know well. They're your handiwork. They declare your glory. And we praise you for that. We praise you for the things that we don't even know about yet. And we look forward to knowing them more. God, would you, um, would you stir the coals of our heart? Would you light a fire in our minds? Would you open up our imaginations? Would you help us to see the expansive opportunity that we have to live a life that incorporates praise in all aspects of our lives? I pray in particularly for those who are having a really hard time. God, you know how hard it is for us to worship and to praise when we feel like we're in the doldrums, when everything seems to be working against us. So we pray that by your spirit, you would light the fire of praise in our hearts and in our minds. Would you give us the sweetness of the fellowship that we can experience with your son, Jesus, who gave all that we might have all. We pray this in his name. Amen.